original plan was to leave very early to avoid the backups that definitely happen when, when the marathon is going on. Um, but instead, <laughs> I was home. Um, I'd actually, since mom and dad had been sick, had been isolating from our family all week, um, just because I was taking care of them, masking, doing whatever precautions we could think of to do. Uh, so we have this, we have an upstairs, like in the main part of our house where our bedrooms are, and then we have some finished space above the garage where we have some guest space, and we affectionately call it the tower. <laughs> so I was isolating up in the tower um, above the garage. And so that morning I heard, heard activity outside, and as I sat at the, the, the garage, had like this pitched, pitched roof like this, well, it exists like this, one side is up um, a little bit, um, but there's skylights on that side, and it's right up against where the bed is, and so I looked outside and I could see the runners coming down the street from the marathons, which was really great. So I popped the window open so I could hear, and you could hear the people cheering them on as they were running by and ringing the cowbells. Um, when we first moved here three years ago, we lived, we rented a place on the water for a couple years, about a half a mile from where we live now. And um, the first year that the main marathon ran through, there was a bagpipe player, which apparently is a tradition. He stands on the corner and plays the bagpipe as all the runners come through. Couldn't hear the bagpipe, but we could hear the people here that were that were cheering on those runners. So I just watched for a while as the uh, as the runners came, thinking, praying for them as they as they went by, but just um, also lamenting not being here with you too, but trusting that God is with with all of us. Um, and grateful for the beautiful time that you shared last week. So as I watched the runners, there was a point in time where um, initially there were a few runners, and then there were lots of runners coming by, and you could, uh, apparently I guess that they would come across the bridge and they'd snake down one of the streets right along the water. They just stayed along the water as much as they could, of course. Um, but they would the place where they would come up and then turn onto one was within view, so I could like, see them coming up and across. And eventually there were more and more people. And eventually it got to the point where um, there was a huge amount coming that direction. And suddenly I heard all this cheering and there were a couple runners coming who had finished the course and were coming through. And everybody was just cheering them on like crazy. Not just the people on the street, but the runners who were just starting their part of the race, moving at a much slower pace, cheering them on. And I thought, what a beautiful picture that is of just supporting one another. You know, think about how we um, how we define success. But let's um, let's dive into our passage, and then we'll um, uh, we'll see what God has for us in this. Um, gracious God. We trust your word. Uh, we trust your presence here with us. Lord, would you guide us? Um, help us not to miss a thing that you have for each one of us. So let's read um, from Philippians 3, um, 4 to 14. And I guess before I start here, we'll just a quick, quick synopsis. So Philippians, Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi. Um, this is about 61 AD. It was a church that he planted and founded 10 years earlier um, for a beautiful story. Uh, so it's a letter written with great affection. And as you spent some time in verse two, um, talking about the humility of Jesus uh, and walking through all of that, this then picks up where Paul is encouraging the Philippians in their faith. Um, great affection again for the people in, um, in this church. And um, 
and he wants them, wants them to be encouraged. So we'll, we'll pick up here, and he goes, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand strict obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and for righteousness I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous, righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. All of us. So, we can often find ourselves stretched, striving for success, working to achieve some expectation of what it means to live fully to find happiness, satisfaction, um, significance, create lives of peace and joy, expectations that we set for ourselves, some set by others, family, coaches, teachers, um, by life circumstances. And when things don't work out as we hope, sometimes even when they do, we can push ourselves harder, stretching farther to get close to once this happens, then we will be whatever this is that we are that we are trying to achieve. And so what Paul is doing for us, he's sharing, it's a beautiful testimony. We, we know from Acts what happened when um, he was struck blind on the road to Damascus. So we know how Jesus intersected. It's like, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then he would redirect Paul. So we know what happened externally. Like we know the facts, but what Paul is giving us here is insight into what was happening on the inside of him how this encounter with Jesus changed everything about his life. What he thought, how he acted, what he saw. So he giving, he's just giving us this beautiful insight to encourage the Philippians then, but it also encourages us now. So he goes on and he's talking, one of the, one of the things that he's wanting the... Uh, Wanting the Philippian church to know is there are, there are people called Judaizers who were still who were following Jesus, but still feeling that they need to, um, or claiming that people need to follow the laws of the church and to keep certain traditions and uh, and all of, and all of those things. So they're warning them against those. And he's like, 
yes, they're boasting for all these things, but if anybody has any reason to boast, I have reason to boast. And he goes on to list all of these things. He was proud and confident of his heritage, which for a long time, and for much of his life, defined his position, his self-worth. Um, absolutely confident. If you've ever seen the movie A Few Good Men, John Nicholson and um, Tom Cruise, the writer, I just remember this moment of um, in the courtroom where Jack Nicholson goes, you know, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, and it's like that was Paul as a Pharisee um, when he was when he was Saul, just that absolute confidence in his goodness and his power. He goes on to say he's the son of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, showing that from birth he was um, he wasn't someone converted later, like he was he was the Jew of the Jews, basically. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin, tribe Esther, David. Um, Benjamin was one of the brothers born in the Promised Land. So it's like, it, even though it's a smaller, it's the smaller of the tribes, it is, um, it is a renowned and important. Um, and he kept the law. He was zealous for the cause. Um, so he was wanting, he was wanting people to realize that this is what I believe, that I thought this really was all that, was what life was, and that this was my call, and I was fully confident. But he said, I realized that I was wrong. So it was this internal process as Jesus transforms our heart and our mind, as we, we shared earlier this summer in our um, uh, Romans passage in Romans 12. Uh, how he transforms our heart and our hearts and our minds. Paul, being a Pharisee, previously, um, pull our Matthew passage in a little here, where uh, Jesus was teaching about the parable with the evil tenants. Uh, it's a hard passage to read, <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that we want to want to keep in mind, and that he's reminding too, is that. Within this, within this parable, the, um, the Pharisees are the evil tenants. Um, the landowner, the vineyard owner, is God. Uh, the, the servants who came to try and get their share were the, the prophets of old um, and the others. And then obviously the son was Jesus, who, um, who the Pharisees rejected. Um, and the new tenants are his church, this church. And Paul's talking to the church in Philippians, just encouraging them to, um, to, to stay the course, to share Jesus, and to, um, to help spread the gospel, the true gospel, not marred with all the other, with all the other things. So he goes on to say, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless with, when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Infinite value. So you understand, Paul finally reached a place of understanding that he was totally misguided. He was totally misunderstanding God and what God was calling him to do before his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He, Jesus wasn't the Messiah that he had expected, and he rejected him. Like, all, like others were doing. He persecuted their followers. He sanctioned the stoning of Stephen. Um, he was there. Um, so he rejected him. He was excited, but he finally understood. And by understanding, it changed everything for him. It redirected his loyalty, 
his devotion, his confidence, his mission-directed zeal, which before was to persecute the people who were following the way of Jesus, um, to now spreading the way of Jesus. He goes on to say, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You know, I think about Paul's, uh, Paul's example here, and um, I had a lot of time alone this week. I spent a lot of time with God. I spent a lot of time sleeping earlier in the week. Um, but, but I really had a lot of time with God and reflecting. And because it was, it was a challenging week, um, challenging two weeks actually, it's been 12 days since I've been up here. It felt so good to drive up here this morning um, and to be with you all. Um, but it was, was very challenging. And um, one of the mornings I was sitting outside on our porch, and I just, I had read a devotion about communing with God through nature. And it was beautiful a couple days in the middle of the week. And so I don't know why I just felt the need to take off my shoes and walk in the grass. Um, and it was, there was still dew, so the grass was still wet, but usually it would be like, ew, ew. But it was, <laughs> but it wasn't. Like, it was just, I just really wanted to be, to feel the sun and feel the, the dew of the grass on my feet and this connection. And then a little later, God would then connect that in with um, some writing from Ruth Haley Barton. Um, she's the author of a book that was really impactful for me through God's School, Strengthening the Soul with Your Leadership. Um, and she talked about noticing those moments with God, when I use the example of Moses being um, being out in the wilderness and sees the burning bush, but he notices it and comes over. And God tells him to take off his shoes, that this is holy ground. I'm like, wow, God, you did that to me today. <laughs> uh, but it was this really sweet moment of connection. We have these whispers and these moments in our lives all the time, if we'll notice them, if we'll slow down enough. So he goes on to say, for his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one like him. I know as we walked through our period in life where Jesus drew us back close to him and the relationship took on a brand new brand new meaning and priority in our life and we just we, we say what we we refer to as we right-sized our lives, we slashed our expenses, we redirected our time and our energy and our focus in our family. Um, and Paul does something here, counting things as lost, things that I at once thought was so important, the chase to leadership in pharmacy as a student, as a national officer, and in my consulting and the different things that I was part of and wanting to, to gain those experiences but also the recognition and also the things that went along with that that are great for people, not to minimize that where it's important for others, but I really, God was calling me to something different, and those things completely shifted in priority in our lives. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So Paul had decided, had, had depended, excuse me, on his own goodness, on the things that were within his control that he could do to earn his salvation, to earn favor with God. Uh, 
that was how he lived before, but he's showing the absolute difference and the impact of getting to know Christ with him. That God's, God's way of making us right with him depends on faith, living out faith. And then in verse 10, I want to know Christ and, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul's reason for living and for moving was that he might know Christ and experience him and help others and live into the call that God had on his life to redirect the zeal for the church that was misdirected into a way that you and I would be standing and sitting here today knowing and loving Jesus and striving to live like Jesus in this world because Paul was faithful to that and others were faithful to God's move in their lives. So Paul's writing this letter from, um, he's imprisoned in, in Rome. He was imprisoned there for two years. Um, and this place was less harsh than, um, than some, of the other, some of the others, but he's opening his heart to Jesus and he's opening his heart to the Philippians to help them and encourage them through his own story. He wants them to know that they can know Jesus. He wants us to know we can know Jesus. He knows us. He loves us. He wants us to know him. and He draws us close. And he goes on to say um, that he's learned this through knowing Jesus and experiencing him in this life was better than anything he could ever seek to do on his own. He calls it invaluable. He goes on to say he wants to suffer with him, sharing in his death, and obviously not sharing on the cross, uh, but dying to the things that he wants help is important uh, and misguided and held his priority, that he might know, really know Jesus and live into the call that he has on his life. Not to earn his righteousness, but to live it out, to live it out, to be worked out. And it's not easy, and it's not without a whole lot of effort. He shares how his mind and heart were transformed and his perspective completely changed. And he encourages us to do the same, to live out our faith. And he goes on to say, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to, perfect, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Jesus claims him. He claims us, he claims you, and he claims me. And out of that, he invites us to know him. Jesus inviting, his intersecting in his life, moving in him, that becomes his purpose. And when he talks about pressing on here, where is it? But I press on to possess, to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Think about what pressing on means for Paul. Like it's easy to think, okay, he just, he pushed forward and he's shifting now from this analogy of what was loss and gain to an athletic, athletic analogy. So if you've played, ever played a sport, um, where you train, and you train, you think the people from the marathon, that ran the marathon, people don't wake up that morning and say, I'm gonna run a whole marathon today. It's like they, they trained and they worked for it. They may have done the, the 5K walk or whatever, but, um, but, you, but, but you, you work at it, you stay with it, you invest yourself in it, you commit to it. And so he's saying, press on. But so for Paul, what did that mean to press on? So it meant when there was 
fighting among the apostles early in Acts. Um, and then there's separation between some of them and disappointment. It means he keeps going. It means when he is arrested and thrown in prison, he keeps going. To press on, it means when, when he's beaten, when he's flogged, he was stoned. Um, he, he keeps going. Pressing on means you keep going. And you keep going as, as people are challenging him, as people are against him, as people are coming in behind him and confusing things where he started churches. He doesn't stop. He just keeps pressing on, pressing on. And he goes on. Um, so we think about, um, think about athletes. I think about um, Simone Biles, too. Um, beautiful gymnast, so successful. Um, if you remember, it wasn't that long ago that she had to step away to do some healing from trauma um, and was highly criticized <laughs> for doing that when she did. Um, but she did what she needed to do to keep going. She worked and she trained, but she didn't give up. But we all have those moments where we might have to step back for a moment or for a season. Um, and then he repeats what he says and he expands, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, all those things that he once valued and prized and prioritized in his life, those things that defined him and gave him self-worth, Forget all of that stuff and look forward to what lies ahead. I press on, pressing on, uh, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. ESV uses straining forward. And you think about like straining, like it's, you can just you hear the effort. It's that stretching to, uh, to go where God is calling him to go and to stay the course. Need a picture here, sorry. <coughs> but as Paul is being transformed in his likeness to encourage others to grow, we reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. And Paul gets the prize not because he's the first one to cross the line. It's because he crossed the line. And for every single one of us, Jesus is right there at the end. He's with us in the race, um, and he's there at the end. As Paul finishes the race, Jesus, is, he's there with the crown, with the, with the prize for that upward call, the life that God has given him and called him to. So this is so good because it's not, again, it's not a race like we think of a race, who's going to win, who's going to get gold, silver, bronze, or whatever the, whatever the prizes are in this race that we live, that God calls us to live, that Jesus empowers us through, cheering us along the way. We all win. We all win because of what Christ did for us. Because he came, because he gave, because he humbled himself in ways that we talked about last week that, that are mind-blowing if we stop and think about all that he endured for us out of love, out of depth of love, that we might know him. And not only did he sacrifice, but he overcame it all and out of that power, that resurrection power, that we have life, can have life to the full now, and for all of eternity. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. Like he gives us fullness. He offers us. He invites us into fullness of life now. 
So what does this mean? How do we how do we live it out? How do we live as Jesus, as Lord of our life, as he says? We've talked about this is just being in his presence, coming into his presence, um, finding ways to connect with him, being in his words so that we come to know his voice. When Paul founded the church in Philippi in 5180, um, he wasn't on his way to Philippi, he was on his way to Asia. Um, but he, if you read the story in Acts, he talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was against them, like just kept redirecting and redirecting. And in a dream, um, the man called him to Macedonia, which is which is where Philippi is located. And there he there weren't even synagogues there because typically he would go into a new place and he would preach, um, find a synagogue and he would go and preach there. But he found some believers by a river, a group of women. And that's where it began. And Lydia and her family would come to be baptized. And the, he was jailed, of course, and the jailers came along uh, as he and Silas were in jail. Uh, but, it's, but it's coming to know him and understand his word enough that we can recognize his voice when he's calling us. Like Paul had to discern. He could have just been zealous, head on. My plan is to go to Asia. But he spent time with God. This is, you think about the letter that he's writing to the Philippians here is written in 61 AD. It's almost 30 years um, into Paul's ministry. I mean, he stayed the course for a long time. For a long time. He did everything that God called him to do. So how do we, how do, we do that? Make him Lord of our life and it's inviting him into the moments. The last couple weeks, as I mentioned, have been pretty challenging <laughs> in a, with just a lot of uncertainty and fear. My parents are elderly. They, um, they'd avoided uh, COVID for three and a half years, but uh, both ended up sick. Daddy was hospitalized for four days, so they were separated. So it just was a lot of fear and uncertainty and needs and competing needs. And we're running, trying to meet all the things, doing what we can, things that are in our control and probably weren't in our control that we were trying to control because sometimes you do that in stress and that's what we were doing. But I realized that emotions were high. I'm like, wow, I don't like who I am right now. I don't like the thoughts that I'm having, the feelings that I'm having um, in the midst of all of this. And I really had to bring myself back into slow down long enough because we were running back and forth. I'm like, I don't, I was working on a message for last week in Philippians 2, have this mind, <laughs> have the mind of Christ, who humbled himself. So as, as Jesus was being betrayed, as he was being mocked, as he was being scorned, as he was being spit on, as he was being accused, as he was being beaten, he wasn't lashing out, he wasn't bitter against people he was forgiving them. And I wrestled with that passage and just what I was walking through last week. I'm like, God, help me. And we just had to peel the layers away, but the place where I had to start was worship. So I started on some worship music and just in my car, <laughs> protect everybody who's listening, um, pull out 
just full outlership. Um, and then being in his word. And then I just spent some time, Wednesday morning I spent a long time just sitting um, in solitude and silence, listening for God. Because sometimes I can just be so, well, kind of like this. Uh, I do that with God too. <laughs> Um, but we have to stop long enough to listen, to reflect, to be willing to see and hear the things that he might be showing us about our heart or our attitude or somebody else we might be judging or condemning in some way. Um, so as we wrestle with hurt feelings, disillusionment, um, but that time of reflection just really opened things up for me and compassion came back. Gentleness came back. And patience came back. And peace. How about you? How have your last few weeks been? Because a lot, I know a lot of you are walking through some tough things. Um, and I know that God is with you. And I just pray um, that you find ways to connect with Him and know Him. Paul talks about the upward call. God uses us where we are. It's not always a change in vocation like it was for Paul, even like it has been for me, but it was so clear that God has been leading me for the last 10 years the way he's been leading. Last Sunday was 10 years from the first time I walked into life group, a community group, which God has used to completely open my relationship with him. Um, so I celebrate that. Um, but he does, he uses us, he uses us where we are. Um, he knows us. He knows the gifts that he's given us, and he will use us in the lives of the people that he brings into our circles, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, um, even places we sometimes find ourselves we don't really want to be. <laughs> uh, but God uses us in all of those moments. But as Jesus invites us and is cheering us on, and he enables us, he invites us and guides us, but he won't impose on us. He won't make us know him. He won't make us be in relationship with him. But what I do know is that all that seeks to pull us away from God will persistently impose itself on us. Life can get really busy and complicated and stressful and intense, and those pressures and challenges come, come in and can draw us away. So it takes intentionality of stopping and turning back. And that way, if we can connect with him, hang on to that connection through the difficult times, because our peace cannot be dependent on the outcome of our effort or on the, out or on the outcome of what we expect or hope or demand from somebody else. Our true peace comes only from God, only from God. And he, um, he gives it. He wants it. He invites us into, into that, and he runs every step. You know, as I said, think about the marathon the other day and all the people along the, along the route that, were cheering every, that was cheering everybody on, um, and then the runners were supporting one another. I'm like, that's such a beautiful picture of the church. We walk alongside, we run alongside. Sometimes we're standing, we're encouraging, we're pointing the way. You know, the route's this direction. Like, it's such a, such a sweet picture of his church in this world and what it can be, knowing that he is with us every step of that race, every step of it. And he is there as we finish and celebrating with us. 
Paul, one of the Philippians who he loved dearly, this church he planted 10 years ago when he was trying to sail, but the Holy Spirit <laughs> um, directed him from, from Asia back to Macedonia, um, that people there would come to know him. Um, it was the first church planted in Europe, and it was through knowing Jesus, through listening to his word, through Paul listening for his gentle whisper, for his way of guiding, and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, praying for his guidance, seeking him so he knew what direction to go, what, and when he would misstep, how to, how to step out of it, and how God would guide it. So he's encouraging the Philippians, and he's encouraging us to today, that we can know him. He knows you. He absolutely knows you. He knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your struggles. And he knows mine too, and he cares, and he loves us so much. And he wants us to experience the fullness of life in him now and for all of eternity. So as we try to let go and forget what lies behind, press on whatever that means in our lives, whatever it is that we're walking through, knowing that he is with us, he's empowering us, he is cheering us on, bringing whatever bells singing over us, uh, that we might know him. And the question for us is how will we respond? Let's pray. Oh, God, you are beautiful. You are present. You are kind. You are generous. You are a provider. Lord, thank you that, you that you know us, that you want us to come to know you, that it is through knowing you that fullness of life comes, that peace, regardless of the circumstances that we may be in, it doesn't make the struggles go away, but you reframe our perspective. God, it's so easy to sometimes get swept into the chaos uh, building around us. That's not where we want to be. Uh, Lord, help us to stay close to you, that we might be vessels of your love and your hope and your peace and peacemaking and justice and goodness and gentleness and kindness in the world around us. Lord, we thank you for the life of Paul. We thank you for just the beautiful example he is, the passion with which he pursues you and which he pursued his churches and that he put care into these letters that the people in the churches of those times may know you and that we today could still be encouraged <coughs> by your truth, by your love and your grace. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.